When I asked Imogen West Knights, who covers all things British here at Slate, to quantify just how enthusiastically her friends and neighbors are anticipating the coronation of King Charles, she talked about the street parties many are holding on Saturday, the coronation quiche some diehards are making, and then she talked about Colin. Do you guys know about Colin the Caterpillar? The what? Colin the Caterpillar? Colin the Caterpillar. What's he doing? <laughs> this is kind of a tangent. But so in the UK, there's this thing called Colin the Caterpillar, which is a caterpillar-shaped cake that's traditional to buy people on their birthdays. And every supermarket does its own version with different names, but the original's called Colin. And supermarkets are doing a like coronation-themed Colin cake with like a little crown on it. <laughs> there's an official everything. Like why are they... <laughs> There's so much stuff like this one, like coronation scone deal where you can buy like a scone and some jam for five pounds. Imogen says this coronation is unavoidable. Think of it like the British Super Bowl. Everyone's going to be watching it or eating a coronation themed cake or wearing a coronation themed T-shirt, even if they're allergic to the monarchy. It's kind of weird because... Loads of people have asked me this week, like, are you going to watch it? And everyone's kind of like, yeah, I guess I am going to watch it because it's a sort of historic event. For Imogen, this centuries-old ceremony is going to be delightfully weird. After all, King Charles is going to be sitting on top of something called the Stone of Destiny. But there are going to be somber undertones, even for her. King Charles is the oldest monarch to be crowned. And watching a septuagenarian become head of state months after laying his mother to rest, it raises all sorts of questions. You know, how much longer does he have in him? Not as long as the queen did, just by virtue of human lifespan. Yeah, I've heard him described as a transitional king, which seems both a little bit mean, but also totally true. And it also raises this question of like, do you have any idea what the monarchy is transitioning Well, that's the question. A lot of people are wondering what kind of a king Charles is going to be, how much room is there really in the role of a monarch constitutionally for them to be anything other than a figurehead. One of the things that people, I think, liked about the Queen is that she was kind of a blank slate. Whereas Charles has spent his whole lifetime in the public eye telling us exactly what he thinks about things. So we know that he's pro this, anti that, which he won't be allowed to do as king. Today on the show, this week's coronation is steeped in hundreds of years of history. But could King Charles formally ascending to the throne be the start of something new for the royals? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we get to the nitty-gritty of this weekend... Can we just talk about the evolution of King Charles? I was looking at this poll from last year where he was ranked as the seventh most popular royal below his <laughs> niece, Zara Tyndall, the daughter of Prince Anne. She's an equestrian. Mm-hmm. Since he's assumed his role as king, though, has his status shifted at all? He's not a massively popular guy in the same way that the queen is. I mean, the queen was sort of beloved as this grandmotherly figure by a lot of people in the UK, even people who wouldn't say that they were ardent royalists or anything. She's just always been around and has presented herself quite cannily as this benign figure. Um, And Charles, his just his, yeah, his time in the public eye has been marred by a lot of scandal. He's divorced. He's got a bit of a reputation for being sort of crotchety, grumpy guy. (laughs) And even before the Diana stuff, when he was a young man, He got this kind of reputation because as the prince who talked to flowers. (laughs) Yeah, so Charles has got this kind of slightly hippie-ish bent to him. I think the BBC called him a Tweedy radical recently, which is exactly what it is. He's this sort of like, you know, country posh man who has in some ways quite surprising views about the power of nature, you know, the harmony of the universe. He's written some stuff about mysticism and, I mean, nothing like too heavy or too crazy or anything, but but maybe slightly surprising for a member of the royal family. I mean, he literally did an interview where he said, I come to this garden and I talk to the plants and they talk back. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. He's certainly more open to slightly hippie-ish ways of thinking than I would imagine the Queen was. But again, we don't know. Maybe the Queen believed this stuff as well. She just very smartly never said so, really, about anything. Well, she got locked down at like 25, 26. Yeah, she, yeah. she became Queen, so <laughs> she didn't have much time to express herself. No, no. But also she really didn't want to express herself. There was this, when was it? The late 60s, early 70s? They let the a BBC film crew into one of the palaces to make a documentary about the sort of day-to-day life of the royal family for like a year. And then it came out and the Queen was said to be so kind of horrified by the fact that they'd opened the window too wide onto the secret in the lives of the royal family that she had it basically expunged. You can't watch it anywhere except in archives physically. So she knew that it was important for the monarchy to maintain this distance between the people and the crown but whether or not Charles thinks that's an important line to hold, he's not going to be able to hold it because he's he's already exposed so much of himself to the public. Yeah. I mean, he, of course, famously married and divorced Princess Diana, eventually settled with Camilla Parker Bowles, who'd been his mistress. And there are these communications between them where, that are incredibly intimate that everyone knows about, which is just so... <laughs> It's the opposite of what you just said about the queen. It's like everyone knows 
everything. Yeah, I mean, the idea of the queen's sexts coming out is like uh, completely untouchable. <laughs> it would like shake this country to the ground. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, there's stuff out there. If you want to find it, you can find plenty of dirt on Charles. Um, so he has got a huge kind of obstacle to overcome, I think, with that in terms of building an image of himself as King Charles rather than Prince Charles, who is associated with so much already. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that both he and his now wife, the queen consort, Camilla, they've had to do a lot of aggressive rehabilitation of their reputations. In fact, Prince Harry, Charles's son, is basically alleged that in their quest to make their relationship acceptable, they were willing to have really sharp elbows towards the rest of the family. Like Harry called Camilla a villain, which is like, whoa. Yeah, it's, I think there's sort of two things in play here. One of which is, I think that's true, the thing about the sort of sharp elbows. Uh, But most of that has been going on behind closed doors in the palace itself in terms of wrestling with the queen about what kind of titles Camilla might be allowed to use. Right. Famously, there was this letter that came out right before the queen died where she said, I give permission for Camilla to be queen consort. And it all seemed very like it had been arranged (laughs) by Charles and Camilla and, you know, everything had been laid out so that the way was smooth. Yeah, I, I, I dare say that was a huge behind the scenes effort to try and smooth that down before um, she inevitably was going to die. But in public, I, it, I think, again, as often with the monarchy, although not recently because Harry's kind of broken ranks with it, the goal is have all those fights behind closed doors and then make it all seem very smooth and calm in public. So in fact, in terms of public-facing stuff that Charles and Camilla have done to rehabilitate themselves, nothing very bombastic. They've just continued to show up places, do their little visits and jobs and shaking hands and things, just as uncontroversially as possible. And eventually time passes. It's a value of like committing to the bit. Yes, they've committed (laughs) to the bit so hard. (laughs) You have to respect it. Totally. It seems to me that this coronation is happening at a strange time for a lot of reasons. One of the weird things about it is that Prince Harry, Charles's son, has just written this book, Spare, where he isn't very nice to his family. <laughs> and the family seems pretty upset about it. He's He seems to be flying in for like a 24-hour in-out kind of experience of the coronation. How is all that internal drama going to show up on coronation day i think they know well that people will be watching them very 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 closely you know they used to they maybe even still do this british tabloids used to publish body language experts who would look at pictures of the royal family and tell us what they were secretly feeling because you just don't know otherwise they don't usually give you any clue except that harry has blown the doors off the whole thing and told us exactly how he feels so I think from the side of Charles and William and Kate, the mission will be reveal as little as possible. Just be courteous because everybody is watching. I mean, looking ahead towards this weekend, I was thinking about how much Charles seems to have benefited from the fact that the rest of the power structure in the UK 
is a little bit of a dumpster fire. Liz Truss announcing her resignation today, making her the shortest serving prime minister in UK history. She has been in power for just six weeks and spoke this to morning, the British. Britain is ushering in its third prime minister in just seven weeks. Earlier today, Rishi Sunak was invited to form a government following a meeting with King Charles at Buckingham Palace. He becomes the UK's first... Like there have been two prime ministers since he was crowned. He gave this speech in Germany recently where it seems like people were like, oh... Like, he speaks German. Interesting. <laughs> good good on him. Do you think this grace period is going to last? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's such a strange moment. For that reason, the fact that there's been such political turmoil recently. The other reason it's an odd time is because of this sort of cost of living crisis thing that's going on in the UK at the moment, which is really pretty extreme. Over the winter, energy bills skyrocketed, you know, triple, quadruple what people were normally paying, which led to a lot of people simply not heating their homes, which did lead to people freezing to death in their homes. And then alongside that, there's also the cost of food has gone up massively, and that's partly to do with Brexit. And I have seen online, certainly, quite a lot of um, distaste for, you know, there'll be a thing out from the BBC saying, here is the gaudy, opulent, gilded coach that Charles will be arriving at Westminster Abbey in and people being like, mm. <laughs> bit of a read the room problem here. It's a very odd moment for there to be this huge public display of wealth while the country has, hasn't felt poorer in many, many, many years. Huh. And teachers, doctors, civil servants, rail workers, they've all gone on strike. Right? Everyone's on strike. Everyone's been on strike. It's a real interesting moment for Charles to be taking the throne because, yeah, things do not feel good here. Conversations, including the term sort of breaking point or how much worse can it get, that's the sort of tenor of public conversation here at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk about the coronation itself and that disconnect. Like, coronations have remained the same for a thousand years. <laughs> So it creates this pageantry because it's like a battleship. It's just a thing that has been happening for a long time. It's huge. It's massive. You've got rings and swords and crowns and coaches. Has the royal family shown any like desire to change what this looks like, given the situation that the UK is in right now economically? I think they have. I think it is a slightly more streamlined version of what they did for Elizabeth. I think it's shorter. And I think some efforts have been made. I think, you know, when Elizabeth ascended the throne, she was the head of the Church of England and religion was represented exclusively in the coronation by the Church of England. Whereas I think they've invited certainly a lot of like faith leaders in the UK who are not Christian to participate in this coronation, to be there. And also they've invited, I think it's something like 800, what they're calling something like community heroes to be in the audience, in the, in the Abbey. So people who've done great works for charity or their community in some other way. People who maybe don't have like fascinators in <laughs> normal wardrobe collection. Yes, people who are going to be renting their outfits rather than choosing from a great selection in their in their second home. So there ha I think there are gestures towards them understanding that this is not 1953 
and that the world looks pretty different. But how do you get around it? It's a coronation of a monarch who's, you know, put there as asserted by the divine right of kings. It's how modern can you really make that? Yeah, you can't go down to City Hall and be crowned. No, <laughs> no you can't. After the break, will this ostentatious celebration make people rethink the monarchy? I wonder if we can talk about the future of the British monarchy, like just what it is that King Charles is going to be in charge of and for how long, because some British territories have been openly discussing leaving the realm like Jamaica, like leaders there have said they plan to remove Charles as head of state. And this is all as he's assuming the throne. So what does that mean for like the future of of what it means to be the head of state in the UK? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if things like that did happen where some of these states do remove Charles as head of state and he does seem to want to appear to be a sort of more modern kind of ruler. But then people ask or people talk about, you know, is there any scope for the end of the monarchy? And I just don't see it myself because... If there's one thing that British people love, it's doing things the way that they've always been done for no reason really, except that they have always been done that way. (laughs) So I think at this point to get rid of the monarchy would be such a huge thing and such an unpopular thing. I'm not pro-monarchy myself. If if I could flick a switch and it didn't exist, I would. But I'm not in the majority here. I think it's something, it's like over two thirds of, British people think the monarchy is a good thing. They run an excellent PR campaign in terms of their use to the British nation. You know, unless Charles does something truly shockingly terrible, it would surprise me very much if there was an actual rise in a Republican movement here. But it does seem like there's a generation gap here. Like, currently only 47% of 18 to 24-year-olds say Britain should continue to have a monarchy compared with 86% of people 65 and over. And I've heard the argument that, like, that's the same as it ever was. Like, oh, young people mellow. <laughs> I don't, I, but I don't know that it's ever been this extreme, the difference. I was quite surprised. So I did some reporting outside Buckingham Palace on the weekend that the Queen died. And I was surprised by the number of young people I saw down there and spoke to who did think of the monarchy as something positive and something they were proud of as a unique thing about British culture. Did you press them on it? Were you like, why, guys? Yeah, a bit. (laughs) And, well, what was funny was they were less positive about Charles, I'll say that much, but then maybe they just haven't had seen that much of Charles. But they did like that he's very pro-environment. People kept mentioning that. With the Queen, either it was things like, oh, she's like, you know, she's a grandma, she's always been there, I love her, and... You know, even people like girl bossing the queen, being like, it's so cool that we had a female. It's like, is it? Is that cool, guys? I'm not sure it was. <laughs> I think one of the main reasons people are critical of the monarchy in the UK is because they have so much money. And it's a little unclear even how much money. And at the same time, they are subsidized by the state, their sort of lifestyle. Like, I was looking at this list of all the things the royals own, and it's just 
it's a lot. There's a prison in there. Mm -hmm. There's a racehorse named Chalkstream. All of the swans in the country technically belong to the king. Every swan. (laughs) It's a lot. Like, do you think that that is going to change minds? Because you're already seeing people in the Labor Party, for instance, calling for at least monarchy reform because of this vast accumulation of wealth. Maybe. I think it was very unlikely under the Queen. It may be slightly more likely with the King because he does at least seem to understand that he lives in the modern world, maybe more so than other members of the royal family do. Maybe. But I can't emphasise enough the degree to which British people, many British people find this normal. (laughs) I'm not one of them, but it's it's oxygen to a lot of people in this country. You know, we have the royal family. And and as I said before, you know, they have they have done a good job of convincing people that they have value. So we've been playing out these arguments forever. It's not that they're new because there's a new monarch. But that said, if there is an opportunity for something different or a little bit of antagonism or some slight questioning of this whole royal family hoo-ha, it may come from the fact that people in this country are sick to death of what it is like to live in this country for most people, which is bad. Uh, It's felt not great to live here for a while now for a lot of people. And I guess the question is, can you really blame the royal family for that? No, no, you can't. But you might feel like blaming them if you saw them roll up in a gold coach. (laughs) That is true. Imogen, thank you so much for joining me, talking me through this weekend. Thanks so much for having me. Long live the king. (laughs) Imogen West Knights is a contributing writer for Slate. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, Rob Gunther, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting a little help from Laura Spencer these days. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Catch you back here on Monday.